0: Chapter 16, if you're following along in the Chairback Bibles, it's on page uh, 822 in the Chairback Bible, 822, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, the title of the message as Dr. David shared earlier is, Who is Jesus? We're looking at uh, the identity of who Jesus is, this is the question that the text we're looking at this morning deals with, who in the world is this guy? Jesus. Jesus. Well, this Sunday is also Epiphany Sunday, uh, and Epiphany Sunday, if you follow the church calendar, it, it represents the day that the revelation of Christ comes to us. The three kings from uh, the three kings come from the from the east, and they come and they bring gifts, identifying Jesus as the King. And so we see through Matthew's gospel that Jesus is personified or pictured uh, as the prophet, priest, and king. And so Epiphany represents a responsibility to reveal Jesus as the divine Son and Savior sent by God the Father to atone for, sins, for all the sins of mankind. It's a time for the church of healing and fellowship, where the church comes together in the covenant of brotherhood to love one another as Christ commanded. So, as we enter this text this morning, this isn't a traditional Epiphany text, but it is one where... The identity of Christ is revealed. And so I thought it would be exciting for us to look into Matthew chapter 16 to see the truth of God's word and to see the identity of who Jesus is. But before we read the text, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. Our father in heaven. It's my prayer that your word would speak to us today. Lord, that your Holy Spirit might have freedom to move in this place. God, that you would open eyes, minds, hearts to understand the truth of your word, perhaps to see things they've never saw or considered before in approaching your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would see fit to bless this message this morning, that you would take these words and that you would use them for your glory Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Well, in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, I want to invite you to follow along as I read. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This morning... As believers, I want us to understand that seeing Jesus for who He is distinguishes us from the world and reorients our focus to prioritize eternal matters. Seeing Jesus for who He is distinguishes us from the world and reorients our focus to prioritize eternal matters. I think we see this in Two ways this morning. Two ways. First, we see through the apostles, and namely through Peter, that revelation invokes confession. We see this in verses 13 through 17. He asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? I went online on YouTube, and we're going to see a video here in a moment. Uh, I went online on YouTube and just searched this question. Uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? Or who do people say Jesus is? And so I wanted to show you a video I found. Uh, I'm sure you've searched in the past as well. But if you haven't, uh, you can find it on YouTube. So um, here we go. This is a video. Jesus is the person who saved my life. All right, cut it, Dale. That's the wrong video. I don't know exactly what's going to be said on that video. So <laughs> let me give you the, hi- the highlight. This is why I don't use media very often because I always mess it up, all right? Uh, I sent Dale the wrong link. Uh, so if you would go out on the streets, all right, and you would, uh, you would ask people, who is Jesus? Uh, I would imagine we would get a lot of very different answers. And perhaps depending on where we're at in the country, Uh, and where we're at in the world, we may get very different answers. But some of the answers that were given to this question, uh, one guy says, well, Jesus was a cool guy. Another said he was a guy who had rock star-like status and makes people feel comfortable. Uh, Some say that he was a a religious figure with a good message. Uh, Some said he was a magician. Others said he's a dead man who had enormous impact on the world. He said a lot of wise things. Others said he's a guy from history. He's just a good prophet. Others say he's a historical figure but not a miracle worker. And I'm sure the list could go on and on about what people would claim or who people claim Jesus is. Who they know him to be or who they think he is. In fact, Jesus asked this question to his disciples, right? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And so they began giving him the... Answers of the day. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets, you're Jeremiah. And what we notice about all of these answers that they give is these answers point to some religious aspect, right? Some aspect of identifying Jesus as perhaps a good teacher, a moral teacher, a good man, one who's closely associated with things of God. generally find the same thing today people think of Jesus either deny that he existed or say yeah he was a historical figure he had a great impact on the world maybe say other nice things about Jesus but I want to invite us this morning to just consider for a moment consider consider what scripture says and testifies about who Jesus is we have a sense of what culture says about who Jesus is But the question I really want us to wrestle with this morning is the one Jesus posed to his disciples. And that question is, who do people say, not not who do people say, I'm sorry, who do you say I am? Now, the reality of this question is it's it's a difficult question. Because it's one that causes us to ask this question, who do I say Jesus is? Because who we say Jesus is will determine everything about how we follow him. If I truly believe Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah who came to earth to save me from my sin, and he did that by conquering sin and death through the cross and raising on the third day, if I truly believe that Jesus paid my death penalty and granted me entrance into a relationship with God, entrance into the kingdom of heaven to create with the creator of the cosmos, if I truly believe this, then it will affect everything About how I live. It will change my life. In fact this is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. A Christ follower. A disciple. One whose life has been impacted and changed. Transformed by the hope of this gospel message. The good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And what is this good news? The good news is that God the Son stepped down out of heaven. Became man lived a perfect sinless life, took upon himself our sin and paid the sin debt that we owe by dying in our place. It's called substitution. He substituted himself in our place so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. This is what scripture teaches about who Jesus is. But I want you to notice one of the things we see from the very beginning in verses 13 through 17 is we see a distinction between A worldview that looks upon Christ and doesn't know what to do with him. And a worldview that's rooted in biblical revelation. Who looks upon Christ and confesses who he is. And so what we see in verse 16 is that Peter nails it. Peter nails it with his confession. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. In other words, what Peter's saying is, is you're the promised Messiah that Scripture has been pointing to throughout all of the centuries leading up till now. You've come to deliver us. And what does Jesus say? He affirms Peter in verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. What an incredible moment. I think Peter's probably in the background getting high fives from the disciples because he's given the right answer. They've been with Jesus all along. He's always opening his mouth and saying the wrong thing. And finally, he said something right. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And Peter's like, yes. (laughs) But here's a question. What, What brought Peter to this point? What do you think it was? You think it was the miracles that he witnessed Jesus perform? I mean, he was first party witness to the miracles that Jesus performed. But, you know, so were the crowds. And there were many in the crowds who didn't yet believe and didn't understand the identity of who Jesus was. He's been a student under Jesus' teaching, right, for these last two and a half, three years that he's been walking with Christ. But, you know, so have the crowds. They've been listening and and hearing Jesus' teaching. I think verse 17 gives us the clue. Verse 17 it says, and Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Notice the contrast that Jesus makes between Simon Peter's earthly father and his heavenly father. Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. Simon, son of a guy named Jonah, is what that means. Your earthly father didn't reveal this to you. It was your heavenly father. He is the one who revealed it to you. In other words, Jesus is saying you've come to know my identity through the revelation of your heavenly father. He's telling Peter you're blessed because God has opened your eyes to see this truth of who I am. He's also saying no earthly mother or father can open the eyes of their son or daughter to see this truth as much as we want to. As much as I want my children to grow up and believe and confess Christ. I must realize that salvation is a work of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling Peter here. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use his people to see new converts to the faith in Christ. He absolutely does. It doesn't dismiss godly living. It doesn't dismiss parents shepherding and, and teaching and discipling their children. It It absolutely requires this. But Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you, Simon and Barjona, for you've seen the miracles I've done. You've seen me walk on water. You've seen me multiply bread and wine and fish. You've seen me heal leprosy and cast out demons and so on and so forth. No, he says, the Father has revealed this to you. I think this is an important distinction that the church needs to realize. Faith in Christ as Messiah is a gift of God. This is why Jesus instructs his disciples in Matthew 9, 37 through 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest and he'll send laborers into the field. You see, the church for the church. Our responsibility is not for who believes the message of Christ. Hear me. Our responsibility, church, is to proclaim the message of salvation through Christ this is what we are called to do. And so what, when do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we do it every day. We do it in, in every day of our lives. This is the transformed life that Christ gives us and calls us to. We proclaim Christ with our words in the workplace. We, we give faithful testimony of what God is doing in our life. We share the truth that God is teaching us through God's word. We, we speak as the Holy Spirit leads us. We do this in our home, in our neighborhood, with the Homeowners Association. However, we, we do this in all walks of life. You see, faith is an endeavor initiated by God, fueled by the confession of the church. As Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this is the confession of the church. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you have worked to transform my life and the life of our church. And because of this, there is a there is a change. And so faith is an endeavor initiated by God, fueled by confession of the church. And listen, believed on by those who do not yet know God intimately. This is the mission of the church. This is what we are called to, brothers and sisters in faith. We are called to faithfully live out this gospel and even to take this confession and to make it known to the world. You see, if we believe Jesus to be who he claimed to be and who God's word hails him to be, then it will affect everything about our lives. It'll affect our parenting. It'll affect our work ethic. It will affect our conversations. It will affect our evangelism. It will affect our passion for sharing the gospel with others. So the question from Jesus to us this morning is, who do you say I am? That's the question. Who do you say I am? This is an important question. It's an important question because we see in a moment that Revelation invests responsibility and authority. And part of the authority of the church is to proclaim the gospel. You see, God's revelation to Peter transforms Peter's life. And his confession is gripping. In fact, it's so gripping that if you read Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, after Christ has ascended to the Father and He sent down His Spirit, Acts 2 tells us that He stood, Peter stood and proclaimed the message of Christ crucified and resurrected on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, 3,000 souls were granted entrance. They came to the kingdom of God. They came to know Him. And so this morning we see revelation invest responsibility And authority as well. We see this in verses 18 through 20. In Verse 18. Jesus says and I tell you. You are Peter. And on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's the rock upon which Jesus builds his church. That's a significant question and the reason it's significant is because there's a lot of disagreement about this particular passage. In fact, there's a word play here in the New Testament in this passage and the word play here is Jesus says, "You are Peter," the word is Petros, which means rock. "You are Peter, and upon this rock, Petra," he says, "I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." And so there really are three possibilities of what the rock, who the rock could be and what Jesus means here. One is he means that Peter is the rock. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're the rock and I'm going to build my church on you. A second understanding is Peter's, Peter's uh, this is Peter's confession. His confession is the rock. And then the third understanding is that Jesus is the rock. Catholic Church sees the rock as Peter himself. They see him as the first bishop of Rome and claim that his authority is transferred to succeeding popes. But just for a moment, consider Peter's life and Peter's ministry, that Peter was not infallible. In fact, in just a few short verses, in chapter 16, verse 23... Jesus tells Peter that he's going to the cross and Peter says, "No, I won't let it happen." And Jesus rebukes Peter and tells him, "Get behind me, Satan." He goes from making this great confession in one moment to Jesus saying, "Get behind me, Satan." You're not setting your mind on the things of the kingdom of God. Paul also later rebukes Peter in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. It seems Peter had been living hypocritically when, when he was around the Gentiles. He would live as the Gentiles do and eat the foods that they ate. But then when the Jews came, he pulled away from the Gentiles and began only associating with the Jews. And so Paul calls him out on this, calls him out for being a hypocrite and, and leading Gentile Christians astray. And thirdly, I think it's a very far leap to establish the office of the papacy and the dogma of papal succession. From these verses because it's just not there. And as we read through the book of Acts. We notice that while Peter was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. At first by the end of the book of Acts or halfway through even. James has become the leader of the early church. Peter even reports to the Jerusalem council and gives a report as if they're in authority over him. So there's one understanding that Peter is the rock to which I don't think this is speaking that Peter is the rock. Secondly, by contrast, Protestantism and the Eastern Orthodox Church maintain that the Catholic Church is wrong and with equal passion say that it's, it's not Peter but it's Peter's faith and confession that is the rock on which the church is to be built. We should note a couple of things about Peter. One... Peter served as a spokesman for the band of disciples. Anywhere in the Gospels that you see Peter speaking out, he's often speaking out as a spokesman for all the other disciples. Peter carried the leading role in the confession of Christ and his Messiahship. Peter carried the leading role in the establishment of the church when he he preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. But beyond these, we, we can't say because Scripture doesn't say. But here's what we do know about this controversial text. What we do know is that it says something about Peter. But more importantly, it's all about Jesus establishing his church. And this is one of the only two places in the gospel of Matthew, in all of the gospels actually, where the word church, ecclesia, is used. The other places in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, just a couple of chapters after this one. I find myself more convinced that the rock refers to Jesus rather than to Peter or to his confession. Here's why. Follow me here. Hang with me, okay? Here's why, all right? Uh, as I read and studied the text, I think it fits best contextually with Matthew's gospel and the whole of Scripture. And here's, here's why. First, he says, this rock Look there in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus uses uh, the word you to describe Peter from verses 17 through 19, okay? Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. In verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth. You see, he's referring to Peter throughout verses 17 through 19. I'm not arguing against that. My point is, why not say, you are Peter, and on you, the rock, I will build my church. It would have fit better And it would have been less ambiguous if Peter was the intended antecedent of this, this rock. And so Petros, Petra, that wordplay, it would have remained intact and still made the point. So that's the first reason. But the second reason, the second reason I think is more substantial. The word rock is only used five times in Matthew's gospel. It's used here once, it's used two times in the Sermon on the Mountain in chapter 7 verses 24 and 25 representing or referencing someone building their house on the rock. It's used at Jesus' death when the rocks split and the curtain of the temple tore. And it's used of the tomb, the place that was cut out of the rock where Jesus was buried. In fact, in the whole of the New Testament, the word rock, petra, is only used 14 times. And of all the times that it's used, it's never used to speak of a person other than Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10:4 And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they the same spiritual drink, excuse me, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 1 Peter 2: Verse 8, speaking of Jesus, Peter says that he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, speaking of those who reject Christ, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Ken Hughes offers, I think, a helpful paraphrase of the passage, and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, and so at this point we visualize Jesus pointing to himself on this rock, I will build my church. I Jesus, not Peter. Jesus is the subject of the sentence. I will I will give I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. This is your role. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so what's what's the point? I think the point is this. Jesus Christ is the rock on which the church is built. And this means that Jesus is building his church. In fact, what he says is the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. They won't. Satan can't destroy it. The mission that he entrusted to his 12 uneducated disciples, they were filled with power and then they went forward. It has withstood centuries of attacks from Satan and it will endure until his return. You see, this is the power of Christ at work in his church to keep his people and to keep his church and to protect and to provide for his church so that Satan and the power of Satan cannot overcome, cannot prevail against the church. So in verse 19, Peter is then given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so get this, by understanding Jesus' identity as the true Messiah, the son of the living God, Peter is then given now a responsibility. And that responsibility was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of the kingdom meant proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. As Peter did in Acts 2, so that the gospel would spread and the church would grow and would go forward. You see, this remains the mission of the church today. When we proclaim the gospel, we speak in the authority of Christ. All who have made the confession of Christ, as Peter makes here, have been invested with a responsibility and with an authority the authority of Christ. And so he equips us to even faithfully carry out this responsibility the proclamation of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And so Revelation invests authority. What's this authority? That Jesus gives Peter and consequently gives every other born-again Christian. Well, the authority is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Believer, when you speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone who does not know Christ, you are speaking with the authority and in the authority of Christ. Realize that. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you as you speak the truth of the gospel to those who don't know Christ intimately. The goal of our, our, speak is, our speech is like Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're ambassadors for Christ, begging people on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. So this revelation invests authority. What's Jesus saying to Peter when he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, what Peter is saying is that when people hear the gospel. They respond in one of two ways. They either reject the good news of Jesus Christ. And are bound in their sin. Or. They believe the good news of Jesus Christ and they experience freedom from their sin, their sin. And so here's what Jesus is telling Peter, that as he goes and he preaches the gospel, that when some reject, there will be the binding of them from the kingdom of heaven. But when others believe they will be freed, they will be loosed to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses the same language in Matthew 18 when speaking about matters of church discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This also speaks to the importance of the local church, that it's through the local church that Christ is carrying out his mission in the world. And God designs and desires that there would be unity among the body of Christ. And so here in verse 19, when he gives Peter the keys of the kingdom, he's giving Peter the keys to preach the gospel message, to take the hope of the gospel to the world. And Peter does that in Acts chapter 2. And so in Acts chapter 1, we find the apostles waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit so that they would be empowered to proclaim the gospel. We notice in verse 20 that Jesus tells the disciples, he charged them strictly, tell no one that he was the Christ. Why does Jesus do this? Jesus does this because they're not yet ready to embark upon the mission. They still had things to learn about Jesus's identity and who he was. They still had to see that he was going to die on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against their sin so that they might now have eternal life when they believed upon him and understood what he had done. What he had done was he had given his life to save the world. This morning, I think our challenge is threefold. One is to deal first and foremost with this issue of how do we answer the question? Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus Lord, the Messiah? You are the Christ, that's Messiah, the promised one, the son of the living God. Is he your savior? Have you embraced your responsibility as a follower of Christ, realizing that you too have the keys of the kingdom? And that as you proclaim the gospel, that you are proclaiming the hope and truth of scripture To a lost and dying world without Christ. Are you intentional to speak the gospel to friends, to co-workers, to neighbors? Are you intentional to give testimony about what Christ is doing in your life? Thirdly. Do you realize the greater significance of being part of the local church body? Why the church is important for the fellowship? Jesus is building his church. He is continuing to build his church. Through the last 2,000 years, he has been building his church. And as the church takes up this responsibility to proclaim the gospel, the church is growing. And so, church, our challenge this morning is to ask, who do we say Jesus is? And then to live our lives in accordance with the truth and the hope of the gospel that Jesus has come to save us. To redeem us from our sin. To give us life eternal. And that is a message that's worth sharing and proclaiming to all people. So let us be faithful to live as disciples of Christ. Let us be faithful to follow Christ and to walk with him. This morning, if, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ or... You can't answer this question, who is Jesus, in a way that Scripture defines. And you want more information. I want to talk more about what it means to follow Christ. To know that he is Messiah, that he is the son of the living God. Then I'll, I'll be down here in the front. You're welcome to come and talk to me now or grab me after service. And uh, I'd love to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe for you this morning, it, it looks like taking a step of faith and saying... I need to grow in my walk. I need my life to actually evidence what I profess to believe and what I speak with my mouth. So maybe for you, it looks like making a commitment to be more faithful in your Christian walk, to be more faithful in giving testimony of what God is doing in your life, what God has done to save you. Maybe for you, it it looks like being intentional in that way. Or maybe even for you this morning, it looks like being more committed more faithful within the local church body. Maybe for you it looks like understanding this revelation that God has brought you to and understanding that Jesus is Savior and then realizing the responsibility that you now have to proclaim this gospel message to those that, that you live around, that you walk around, that you work with. Whatever be the case this morning, I want to invite you to spend time responding uh, through prayer Uh, spend time in response to the Lord Jesus. As the worship team comes, I'm going to pray, and you respond as the Lord leads. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope of salvation that you give us through the cross. Thank you, Father, that you're patient with us, even in the midst of our sin, And that you've made a way for us to know you. That you actually came down. You stepped down to earth. You lived a sinless life. You died a sinner's death. So that you might bring us into fellowship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for reconciling us to the Father. And now I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us this morning to respond to your word. That you would open our eyes this morning to consider the truth of your word.